welcome to the second edition of the Line in the Sand podcast, uh, where myself, Hamish, an Essendon supporter, and Amos, a Hawthorne supporter, discuss all things AFL. Uh, This is our second edition where we recap the just run and done Brownlow medal and congratulate Ollie Wines, who I tipped last week, mind you, in our first episode on his excellent win with 36 votes. Good evening, Amos. Hamish, how are you? Well done, mate. Good tipping. Mm -hmm. Glad to see you brought it up and didn't let me bring you into it. Well done. Ah, uh, look, um, I told you he was going to win. I think, you know, it was a solid and workmanlike year. I think what I liked about his win is he's not a flashy player, but he certainly gets a lot of the ball. I think it was 32 touches and seven clearances average for the season. And if you're doing that fairly regularly, I, I guess you're not going to um, miss the umpire's attention too often. No, and I think uh, 100%. Also, he does get the ball forward to centre. So he uh, not only does he bring it out of the middle, but uh, you see him in the forward line all the time. He'll kick a goal every now and again, bring his teammates in. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Port Adelaide were a great forward line team this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't get it done in the prelim, obviously, but uh, I think a, a worthy winner. Uh, as mentioned last week, um, you know, people talking about who's going to take votes off him and things like that. Uh, yeah, he's probably the beneficiary of only having one player taking votes off him, unlike uh, the Bont and a couple of the Melbourne boys uh, who had uh, two or three others uh, doing so. Although I was surprised, actually, the one surprise we could talk about is Jack McRae only getting 14 votes, but uh, we might um, we might bring that up in a minute. But Yes, uh, there, there were a few <laughs> surprising games there, I think, that we can look at where he maybe should have was expected to get votes but didn't yeah but before we um analyze it in a bit more detail what did you think of the coverage well look to be fair to channel seven i thought they did a pretty good job uh very difficult having seven different locations i think they mentioned uh to to cater for particularly with uh those of us in melbourne still uh not really able to do anything so five or six players in the melbourne studio all sitting in easy chairs or around uh, bar type tables, all dressed up, mind you. Uh, you know, and then the ballroom at the uh, stadium in Perth uh, and at the Gabba. Uh, albeit, you know, no one really thought anyone from Brisbane or the Gold Coast was going to do anything. Uh, and then the demons and the dogs are evidently in two other separated rooms in Perth as well. So, um, and then of course the uh, the video wall with a few of the boys making cameos on, on Zoom every now and again. So I think Jack Rewalt with his cup of, cup of tea or whatever it was yeah. uh, made an appearance a couple of times. And I think he was the highlight of the Zoom. <laughs> it wasn't it? just his facial expressions. I did like the deadpan. Uh, mm. Yeah, that was very good. Um, and for mine, just as an aside, uh, and taking out any Hawthorne bias, because clearly Tim O'Brien should have won Mark of the Year. But uh, uh, for mine, uh, Jack Rewalt should have won Mark of the Year quite mm. clearly. But uh uh, we won't go too far into that. But, um, yeah, I think uh, fan base voting for these wards is fraught and it should, be, <laughs> should not be included. So, um, yeah, about- no, I, thought, I thought Channel 7 did pretty well, to be mm-hmm. fair. So, what about the red carpet coverage? Uh, red carpet for me, you know, I'm no fashion aficionado, but, uh, you know, as my six-year-old said to me last night, we were watching, Dad, why are we watching people dressed up walk, walk, walk along the carpet? And I'm like, well, it's part of the history. He's like, I don't think I like the girls, Dad. Their shoes are too pretty. <laughs> too pretty, okay. Yeah, so I'm not sure where we're going to go with that comment in years to come. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, look, it's always been a feature of the Brownlow. Yeah. It's ever-present, but it was yeah. a bit It was a bit weird. I think it was a bit of a struggle for them too because there were so few people in the one room and there was a bit of talk about history of the red carpet. And I think they were yeah. trying to push it to keep it there for when things get back to normal, I guess, but it didn't yeah. work for me. Um, and I must admit after that, I was a bit worried when they had a cover band singing ACDC to open <laughs> the night in the, um, in the main room, I, I worried that it was going to be all downhill from there, but thankfully that was just one song and we had an exciting count after that to actually keep us interesting, interested yeah. throughout the night. And what did you think of Gil imploring uh, people to get vaccinated? Look, I, I'm I'm double vaccinated. I'm happy to encourage people to get vaccinated. And I guess, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to the football more often next year. So hopefully people do go out and get vaccinated and um, make it easier for us to get back to doing the things we enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think he, um, 
I think he hit the right note. It wasn't a, an order, so to speak. It was more, you know, please do your bit type mm. thing and, and left it at that. It was one line. That was it. Mm. No more carry on and then straight into the count. So, mm. um, no, we did fail to mention, Hamish, that this is a fully constituted board meeting of the, the Line in the Sand podcast with all commissioners mm. present. All commissioners present. Sorry, yeah. we, we should have acknowledged that at the start of the coverage. You, you're right. Yeah. And uh, and also, um, I've got uh, Armour Guard just sitting out the front, mm-hmm. just waiting for for the signal to come in and bring some votes in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've got a few um, votes to discuss throughout the evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure who's going to count them, mind you, but uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. maths was ne- never my best subject in school. So maybe I'll leave that to you, Amos. Uh, footy math. I was the king of footy. Six times tables all over. <laughs> <laughs> the important one. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. So, but uh, now back to Ollie Wines, I think um, I was pretty happy with him, the fact that he won. I enjoyed that he celebrated with a beer as opposed to the champagne. Yeah. Um, I must admit, I, I missed the speech and I haven't been able to catch up with it today. Um, just because I was on a, on a call last night. But, um, yeah, I, I looked up and uh, saw that he had a beer in his hand instead, <laughs> instead mm. of the flute of champagne. That was pretty good. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, you should check out the images in a couple of the papers if you haven't seen it. The um, His manager actually wrote some dot points for him because he hadn't prepared a speech just to remind him to make sure he thanked everyone that he was yeah. supposed to thank. And, um, and um, you know, it, it was he's a genuine, humble guy, um, you know, a hardworking kid from the um from Echuca and I did I did enjoy when he talked about how Echuca was going to be going off and they'd be going off at the pub um, <laughs> celebrating last night and um yeah that'd be good to see uh, yeah um I, I looking to the count and some of the things that happened during tonight, I thought it was interesting that um given his average throughout the season that he actually wasn't in the top five after 10 rounds um Bontempelli um was leading after um the first 10 rounds and you know I guess it was the back half of the season and the last few rounds that cost him in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also with uh, Ollie Wines, you know, he polled in 16 games, uh, you know, versus the Bont polling in 12. Hmm. Uh, so Ollie had, you know, eight BOGs, four twos and four ones. You know, those four single voters are, are probably what's got him over the line. Hmm. Uh, you know, and I mean, 36 votes, that's obviously equal uh, highest tally ever in uh yeah, you know, the single um, three, two, one compared to previous, uh, you know, early late seventies, early eighties. I think when both umpires were voting, um, but um, yeah, so a record total uh, polling in sixteen games. That's that's pretty impressive. But um, you know, just looking at it, I think up to round eleven, he had what did he have? Nine, twelve, fifteen votes. Mm. So, and I think. Yeah, you know, by that stage there were five or six players potentially already got twenty plus. So, yeah, yeah. great second half of the year. Mm. I think um, I don't remember another time, and you're more of a snatch there than I am. But I don't remember another time where we had the top four finishing with thirty votes or above. Uh, it's the first time ever. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's been a couple of years where there's been two thirty plus, mm. but never three and four certainly never. So. Uh, yeah, and the fact that one of them was uh, Sam Walsh, third year in the competition to mm. pick up 30 votes, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, 21 years old. Um, if if he'd been playing in a side that had won a few more games, you, you'd ha- you'd be hard-pressed to say well, um, he, you couldn't make a case for him winning it if Carlton had won a few more games. And if so if they can turn it around, you can't, you know, at 21, you'd have uh, to think he's yeah. going to win a Brownlow at some stage if he keeps his form the way it is. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent, and um, I think definitely twenty-one years of age. I was, I thought he was actually twenty-two or twenty-three. Like, oh no, geez, he only got drafted in twenty eighteen. That was his third season. I couldn't believe that. So, um, oh, he's such a good player. Um, yeah, but I think I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in the next two or three years. Yeah, um, um, you know, if they if they have only got to win a couple more games, realistically, but like they don't have the players around him that are going to steal votes in the same way that Oliver does at Melbourne. No, that's right. And well, I think the only one really, and if he can get his body right instead of playing sore every week, and obviously it depends on how he's played under the new coach. Um, you know, Paddy Cripps is obviously going to be around. Mm. Um, yeah. But uh, he's certainly, I think more just a, an inside grunt player 
And given his size, I'd almost like to see him play half half forward line. You know, mm. the old uh, it's the old question. You know, what do you do with Nat Fife? Is he better as a centre forward? Is he better uh, in the middle? Obviously, you're going to play him in the middle, but uh, their size says they could do some damage up forward. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think Sam Walsh is a shoe in. Telling 30 votes this early in your career, he's, he's got to be up there. So, And he just Matt. seemed so humble about it too, like not getting ahead of himself or anything. And he seems like he's got a smart head on his shoulders for someone that's that young. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, maybe if he played for the Bombers this year, he might have got there because they won a few more games. Mm. Oh, look, you know, um, if if, if um, Essendon had won a few games, Parrish would be up there as well. His stats, his stats match up very well with um, Ollie Wines. It's just, mm. you know, Port Adelaide made a... Um, Preliminary final and Essendon didn't. So, yeah, well, that that's also interesting because uh, it would appear that you know the winners have come from teams who have finished in the top four. Uh, you know, six of the last seven years almost. So, yeah, uh, you know, twenty fifteen was five. So prelim final twenty sixteen Dangerfield. I think prelim final for the Cats mm-hmm. that year. Twenty seventeen Dustin Martin, uh, the Grand uh, Premiership. 2018 was Tom Mitchell. Hawthorne finished top four after the home and away and straight sets exit, unfortunately. Um, I think 2019, Nat Fife won it. And I think Fremantle missed the finals. Mm. Uh, and then Lockie Neal last year. You know, Brisbane finished uh, prelim as well. So uh, certainly helps uh, if your team is uh, finishing in the higher end of the ladder. Mm. Uh, and I think the lowest one I can remember is probably Gary Ablett winning uh, at the Gold Coast. Because certainly Gold Coast were uh, nowhere near challenging for finals in the third year of the competition. So, yeah. yeah. I think that shows how much of a superstar Ablett was when he was fit, though, because um, yeah, the poll the way he did in a team that wasn't winning games. So, um, yeah, he, he carried that team a lot of that year, let's face it. I think, oh, the, yeah, yeah, no question. I think the most impressive thing for me about last night as well, though, was uh, the fact that. Um, Port Adelaide had two players in the top 10. I mean, Boak still got 25 votes, but in doing that, he didn't take votes away from Wines. It was the two of them just dominating in the midfield there. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know, if you look at Travis Boak's vote profile, uh, he polled in 11 games. Uh, and between him and Ollie Wines, they got best on ground 13 times. Hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, you could say, oh, yeah, he took votes off, but then, uh, you know, Clayton Oliver had Petrarca and, and Gorn doing the same thing. I mean, Gorn only finished with 16 votes, but, you know, there's probably five or six votes that could have gone to Oliver there. Uh, and Bontempelli, you know, looking at the leaderboard, it actually is a bit of a misnomer that he had people stealing votes off him because he didn't. You know, the next uh, Bulldogs player after him uh, is well down the list. I'm just looking at the list now and I'm struggling to come up with it. It may well be. Our friend Jack McRae, who finished on 14 votes. Yeah, 23rd spot. Yeah, which is a big surprise. Hmm. So, you know, and then, I mean, obviously, the rest of the the Bulldogs midfield uh, was injured for a a lot of the year in terms of Dunkley, who, you know, is a a stats machine uh, when he's up and going, and Trelaw, who's also, um, you know, gets noticed well by the umpires when he's up and going. So they missed a fair chunk of footy. Um, and then you've got the likes of Bailey Smith who are emerging and he's emerged obviously like a rocket in the finals. Um, and potentially the blonde mullet is a ploy to secure mm-hmm. uh, brown, low votes, yep. <laughs> brown mm-hmm. low votes in the future. Um, as the could have been said, peroxide tips will get you noticed uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. But uh, yeah, I, I um, you know, it is a misnomer that the Bond had people taking votes off him because mm-hmm. he didn't. So <laughs> Uh, and pretty unlucky. I think he didn't poll in the last four games. Yeah. So, yeah, they would have been uh, Libba-esque had he held on to win last night. Mm-hmm. Well, he started He started strong, but you're right. It was the... I mean, he polled sort of four times from round 14 through to the end, but the problem is that Wines polled 10 of those... Yeah. Well, nine, I'm sorry, nine of those last rounds as well so um yeah. when, you, when you're looking at comparing it that way that's that's that was the difference yeah and the dog is losing their last three games as well yeah it doesn't help it's uh unless you're sam draper it's tough to get votes in a losing team so yes let, let, let's talk let's talk about some of the unexpected um votes from the evening and and you mentioned sam draper and 
Um, well, I Tom admit, Mitchell was robbed. <laughs> yes, I well, I must admit, you know, I'm a passionate Essendon fan, but even I was surprised, um, you know, to see that the the three votes that um, Sam Draper got for the entire um, the entire count were three votes in the first round, especially considering, as you said, Tom Mitchell was robbed. He was. I can't deny that. I mean, when you've got a guy who, um, like, he had, he had lots of brilliance this year, and he is going to be a phenomenal ruckman. But, he, I mean, that game he only had 10 disposals, four clearances, and a goal. So it wasn't exactly a huge night out for a ruckman. No. Um, Tom Mitchell had 39 disposals and didn't get a vote. Yeah, and I think uh, single-handedly uh, in the third quarter had more possessions than the Essendon team. Yeah, he had seventeen touches in the third yeah. quarter alone. So he was a main part. He was a main reason for that comeback when um, Hawthorne yeah. came back and won that game. Yeah, and I think uh, watching the count last night, you see, uh, I think I forget who the Essendon boy was who got the single vote, but a, a one-point game. You think, oh yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah, reasonable. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Amira for two votes. So, yeah, he was very good. And then just waiting for T. Mitchell to be read out. And hmm. S. Draper. Who's S. Draper? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? What's yeah. This? yeah. It's a conspiracy that the midfield is going, uh, the, the medal's going away from the midfield already. They're giving it to hmm. Ruckman. So, yeah. But, uh, right. You know, and interestingly, I think Max Gorn is the only sort of, uh, in inverted commas, non midfielder to be in the top 20. Top uh, 30. Top 30. There you go. Top so, 30, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, certainly uh, a midfield battle for sure. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anyone else you can think of who, who should have polled but didn't? Um, I mean, look, we could go through many examples and I'm happy for you to bring up some if you'd like. I think more interesting for me, though, is some of the results for the players that were expected to poll highest for their team but didn't. I mean, yeah, um, you know... Luke Parker was expected to probably get the most votes at Sydney and was outpolled by um, Callum Mills and GWS. Everyone was sort of touting Josh Kelly is going to get the most votes. And there were two players that finished above him with um, Jacob Hopper and Tim Taranto. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah I actually thought Taranto would go pretty well because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he just continued racking up getting possessions every week. Um, and I know it wasn't until sort of the, I guess, the middle to second half of the year where the Giants really sort of came home pretty well and, and got into the finals. But, uh, yeah, in the first part of the year where they, they lost a couple of close ones and things, he he was really the main man. Hmm. Um, and Hopper started well in the count too. So, you know, I felt a bit for Josh Kelly last night. And in the, in the thing, he was in the studio in Melbourne with... Uh, you know, some of the other players who are all racking up votes and he's sort of standing there going, well, if I've got two votes up to round 11, I'm, you can see he's like, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here, but anyway. But why was I on the invite list? How did yeah. this happen? Mm. Correct. Is it just because I'm in Melbourne seeing family or something? Or mm. So actually the other thing is just on that topic as an aside was uh, it was interesting to see some of the non, uh, you know, players who are don't play in Western Australia, but are clearly back home visiting family, attending, um, you know, last night, mm. a couple of the Adelaide boys, well, I think Adelaide and Port were allowed over, obviously, because there's, um, you know, no real restrictions on them, I think. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the Hawthorne boys who are West Australians were there. Uh, Canelio and DeBoer from GWS were over there, mm. you know, the WA boys. So it was just interesting to see that. So, yeah. Yes. Um, well, we don't want to get political on this um, podcast, Amos. You know, I could get political about that, but we might leave that discussion for a, another day. Um, let's talk about Brownlow medals past. So I don't want to hear about Tom Mitchell winning a few years ago, but um, what's your favourite Brownlow count? And try and keep it away from Hawthorne, someone that's one that you're excited to watch or happy for. Well, one that uh, I did enjoy was in 2010 when, when Juddy, pipped out Dane Swan mm. and it was purely because the look on Eddie McGuire's face at the end of the count was priceless mm. um, I didn't I did enjoy that I think because it was so unexpected and, and Juddy who was normally quite reserved was clearly a bit uh, yeah. a bit pissed by the time the speech came around yeah. which was pretty funny mm. um, I think because yeah. he didn't expect to win that night I think you're oh, right I think everyone yeah. expected Dane Swan to win that night so yeah he wasn't prepared to get up there and accept the award no uh, so it was totally uh, off the cuff, for want of a better term, although he presented, still presented well, still being half cut. Um, so that's one. And then I always think, you know, what's uh, the, 
who is the person who you least expect to win a Brownlow just because of the type of player they were? And the two that spring to mind, you know, Greg Williams, I mean, winning it twice, fantastic ball winner. Um, you know, one of the greatest midfielders the game's ever seen, particularly with his handball. Um, but also not afraid to throw a left jab in the pack every now and again. And <laughs> if you got on the wrong side of him, he'd mm. let you know about it. And the other one um, is Tony Lockett uh, winning in 87. Now, you mm. said stay away from Hawthorne. I have to say he did tie with Johnny Platten. But, uh, you know, we all know uh, Tony Lockett and some of the footage, particularly of him, uh, oh, Peter Caven headbutting his elbow back in 94's, you know, <laughs> footage that we've all seen many mm. times. But... Um, yeah, Tony Lockett, what a superstar. Mm. You know, the last of the great forwards probably to win the Brownlow, to be honest. Um, and, um, yeah, just an mm. amazing player. And, and that was – I mean, I don't remember the count. Obviously, I was five years old. But mm. uh, uh, looking back with that uh, that thin sort of mousy brown mullet that he had, um, you know, looking very uncomfortable up on stage. <laughs> but uh, what a player. So. Yes, you're right, though. It certainly has become the Midfielders Award in recent years, and you wonder what you can do to change it to get back to um, having some more players up forward um, get amongst the votes, especially the impact they have on the game. Mm. Uh, for me, and it's, it's not an award that um, an Essendon player won, but I am going to tie it in like you did. Um, so, you know, James Hurdy won in 96 in that beautiful um, tartan suit in a combined award with um, Michael Voss. But I, the next big standout for me was 2003. Like, there were three great winners that year. Um, Rashudo, Nathan Buckley, and Adam Goods, they all deserved to win Brownlows, and I'm glad they all did in their career. But it was a standout for me that year because Hurd only played 17 games for the season. Um, it was a season crueled by injury. And was within three votes. And I think that yeah. was an amazing season for a guy seven years later um, and the last few years of his career were ruled by injury um, to still get that close. And it showed for me as an Essendon fan, fan that he still had it and could still play up amongst the best, even if his body wasn't standing up as good as it had earlier in his career. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, people talk about last night's count being, you know, potentially going down as one for the ages given mm. uh, we didn't know who was going to win until uh, the last game. Mm. Really, because if uh, I think Bontempelli had it got BOG, it would have been a tie. Mm. Uh, you know, that year, three tied winners, three tied seconds, one vote behind. Uh, and uh, I think the and top then 10 heard all, one back behind that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think out of the top 10, I think there were eight, including the three who won, there would have been, or you know, there were in the people, the positions after the winners. Uh, five of those seven had already won Brownlow. So it would have been, if it, any other combination still would have been an amazing combination, I think. So, yeah, that 2003 uh, Brownlow count, um, I just remember sitting at home going, what the hell is happening here? Who? How do we have three Brownlow medals? Yeah. So, and I mean, obviously it happened in, was it 96? I think McKernan rubbed out, but tied with yeah. Voss and Hurd. Mm-hmm. So, um but no one really made too much mention of that. It was like it was a too hard basket for the AFL. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, three winners were amazing. So Yeah, and look, um, we could very well have had that last night. And, you know, in coming years, who knows? I, I Look, I think Sam Walsh is going to win a Brownlow. Bontempelli's still young enough and still playing well enough that um, yeah. if um, the Bulldogs stay up there. Um, Oliver, you know... Um, he he's thereabouts as well. Um, yeah, I think his problem is um, player like Petrarca started really well, but then sort of fell off the cliff for, for getting votes later in the year. But um, if they keep stealing votes from each other, that might be their problem there. But you know, there's going to be a lot of high polling votes over the next few years if um, players get picked the way they're getting picked. And yeah, you, you see some of those midfielders; they're racking up possessions far higher than I ever remember in the past because with the interchange restrictions, they're staying on the ground for longer. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think they're playing the right kind of footy too. You know, they're getting the ball. They're not just running around halfback, getting the odd mm. cheap kick. You know, uh, they're kicking it forward to centre. They're either getting it inside 50 or they're getting it themselves inside 50 and, mm. you know, having a shot. I mean, how good is it, you know, watching the Bont stream through 50 and, and kick a goal on the left? Mm. You know, that's it's just priceless football. But uh, I think you're right. One thing I noticed last night, uh, 
And I actually remember thinking it last year too, although I, I'd have to go back and have a look and, and see what the, the end result was. But uh, I just remember thinking last year, and I, I thought it again last night, but there just seems to be on a given year, you know, it almost seems like there's only about eight, eight players who are polling votes every game, mm. every week. Um, you know, and it's last night it was the, uh, you know, the top four, obviously, with, uh, and, and then you've got players like Petrarca and Boak coming through, um, you know, but there seems to be a glut of players who just clear out from the rest and then everyone else is stuck on sort of 10 votes. Mm. Um, you know, whereas uh, go back to sort of the mid 2000s and you're looking at, you know, players winning on 20 to 25 votes. Mm. Um, and I think uh, I just had a look when Ben Cousins won in 2005, he won on 20 votes. Um and I think the top 10 went down to polling on 15 votes or something like that. So, um, yeah, and we haven't seen that for a couple of years. I think uh, there's been a fair stretch of seasons uh, where the winner has had 30 or more votes. Um, so, yeah, I think six out of the last seven years, it's been 30 plus votes for the winner. So, and even uh, the one year that wasn't uh, was Tom Mitchell in 2018. He still had 28 votes. So, yeah. Uh, so they're getting up there. And I wonder, um, given the, the way it's going, it, you know, is someone going to crack 40 votes under a single 3-2-1 system? Yeah, be... it, it, it's, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, 36 votes, they're almost there. Oh, it, it, touching distance, yeah. Mm. All it takes is uh, another best on ground yeah. or a couple of twos going the, the other way. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, must... And I think, yeah, go on. No, I was, you, you finished that because I was going to talk about something else. Oh, okay. Well, I think we'd be remiss too not to mention uh, from last night. Anyway, David Mundy. Oh, that's up. what I was just about to bring up. <laughs> I'm 36 years old. He's almost as old as I am and he's still got 20 votes in a Brownlow count. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was great watching him. And I think the applause in the room uh, was the loudest whenever he got votes. No one cared that it appeared uh when anyone else got votes but as soon as david mundy got votes they went up so it was, that was good to see so. oh, and gil was loving it too he was playing up to the crowd after a few rounds and people <laughs> was getting he? excited about that it was great <laughs> mm. I, I must admit i had the coverage on low uh, so mm. i could attend a call but um yeah but you could just hear the smattering of applause coming through and, and mm. you know the cameras focusing on on mm. mundy every time Fremantle played so it was, it was good mm. i enjoyed that so definitely worth a contract next year mm. I mean, you know, if if the body's up for it and you're still playing like that and still polling 20 votes, um, yes, I don't think he's going to win his Brownlow now, but if you're still polling 20 votes at that age and you can still um, pull out a game the way he has for a lot of the season, why not? Oh, absolutely, 100%. Mm. I think, uh, yeah, if uh, Hawthorne were in contender mode and Freeman all let him go, I'd be like, well, mm. he could do a lot worse for a season mm. or two, so... Yeah. Yeah. Or um, like um, like a Hodge going up to Brisbane or something yeah. like that. If you if you wanted um, if you know, and maybe you know, if um, Frio wants him as a coach or someone else does, give him that year to play and get to know the players, and then move into a coaching role after that. Yeah, I think yeah, absolutely. Mm. That'd be certainly an offer that he should be entertaining if he wants to go down that path. So, mm. Mm. and and it would also uh, well, we should ask you, being a passionate Essendon man, Hamish, Brownlow must bring up mixed emotions. And it'll be interesting to see how you fare next season when it's the uh, tenth off tenth anniversary of Joe mm-hmm. Watson. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he's I, had I, to relinquish have, the medal, but no, uh, I, I have my memorabilia on the wall that still says he's the 2012 <laughs> winner. He'll always be the 2012 winner to me. I mean, yes, um, given everything that happened, he probably had to hand it back. But at the end of the day. Not one player in that team ever had a negative drug test and he was the standout player that season. And I think most... So you're saying they're all positive? <laughs> I, I, I think I think he's the Brownlow medal that, that year and I, I think um, he has been hard done by. Um, I think... And he's. I think you, with some of the media coverage about the documentary that's coming out, he still believes in his heart of hearts that he was the winner that year and it's understandably so. I mean, um, the amount of pressure as a young guy, he had to go through as the captain of that football club. I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. Um, Mm. And the poise with which he handled that situation was amazing. Um, It's, 
given how other people have been impacted by that time frame, for him to still seem to be as comfortable with himself and well around it. Yes, obviously he's still bitter. He said he he thought he'd still won it and obviously didn't want to hand it back. But um yeah, it's it's an interesting time and um you know you must be happy. You know, Sam Mitchell um picking it up in a joint with as a joint winner with Trent Cotchen when he had to hand it back. Well look I, I'd like to say I was happy. Uh, I'm not really I don't want to say the medal's tainted because I actually agree with you. Surprisingly I think yeah the players have never been found guilty of anything that we know of. Never a positive test come through. They were suspended for 12 months or whatever it was on the back of what evidence no one knows. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, once that suspension was handed down, then yes, he had to hand it back. There was no going away from that. But if I was the AFL, I'm not sure I would have re-awarded it. Mm. Uh, yeah. And if I was in uh, one of those boys' shoes, um, yeah, you never knock it. You're never going to knock back a brown no medal. But and I would have done the AFL, you know, request and, uh, but I certainly wouldn't be looking back on it as my brown low medal. Yeah, I, mean. I, I imagine. Look, I imagine that um, they both have mixed emotions about it as well. Like you say, like it's not. Yeah. It wasn't awarded on the night. It was awarded at a press conference. Yeah, in the middle of the day after Job had handed his back, it sort of seemed a bit hurried. So it's a, um, yeah, it's. I imagine there's a bit of a mixed emotion there. Like they, but they both had great seasons as well. So you know they're happy for their seasons and happy for some level of recognition. But like deep down, I imagine they're always going to know that they didn't actually get the most votes on the night. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's funny when you look back at uh, highlights of games. I mean, Trent Cotchin still playing now, especially. Um, Never referred to as the Brownlow medalist. No. I mean, obviously, he's got three other medals that commentators can latch on to and talk about in terms of the premierships mm. and, and Mitchell too. But uh, I certainly don't remember the Sam Mitchell being commentated on as Brownlow medalist Sam Mitchell. Uh, and, yeah, to be honest, I wouldn't want to be. Mm. I'd rather just be the player who, you know, if I'm a premiership player or best and fairest or whatever, great. But, um, yeah, in that situation, I wouldn't want to be lauded mm. as the brown limit different like for you know robert harvey uh who won fair and square under the rules when chris grant got suspended uh different question as to whether he should have been suspended or not but yeah. you know under the, rules. the rules the rules on the night that's right he'd so, been suspended that season so yeah so you're ineligible and, and he's the highest vote getter you know the next in line so um yeah so that's that's a different scenario but uh Certainly wouldn't want to be referred to as a Brownlow medalist if I was uh, Cochin or Mitchell. Yeah, I think the odd thing about this documentary too is they've brought it out at a time that they've also announced the celebration of next year being Essendon's 150th season in existence. So it seems a bit odd to lead your um, yeah. coverage of that announcement with a documentary series covering the darkest period in the history of the club. <laughs> Well, are you, are you kind of, maybe the thinking is, look, if we get this out now, uh, it's we could do all the celebratory out. stuff. Afterwards. Yeah, it's mm. coming out at the end of the footy season. The news cycle is going to be all about trade week, mm. potentially. You know, obviously the journos are going to watch it and have their say, and, and everyone's going to latch onto it for a day or so. But after that, it's going to be all about the end of trade week if they mm. release it in that week, uh, which I would if I was them. Um, you know, and then. Uh, you know, and then it's done and dusted, it's dealt with. And then from, you know, once the draft is completed and that it's all about 2022 being 150 years. You know, and obviously for Essendon fans breaking the finals, who do uh, in that 150th year? I mean, personally, I'm, yeah. I'm on hashtag 7,000. I'm, I'm up for <laughs> us getting to 7,000 days with our finals victory. But, uh, yeah. you know, um, and if I was another club, I'd be saying, look, I want to play Essendon in round one. I want to mm. knock them off on their 150th year. Mm. Um, take the risk of being beaten. But, um, yeah, I, it's a massive achievement for a club to get that far for sure. Mm. So maybe they've done it as a smoke screen. Who knows? Yeah, look, I mean, people are still talking about it. So they had to release something at some stage, I suppose, and yeah. come back. And it makes sense to do that 
10 years later and see where players are and coaches are and yeah. what they're doing. And they seem to have got most, I don't think Stephen Dank's going to ever come out and talk about <laughs> it again, but um, yeah. given that he wouldn't come out and talk about it and actually exonerate the players, even though he always promised that he had evidence to prove that they weren't guilty, that just sort of never materialized. Mm. Yeah. Did they get uh, kids like Kyle Remus and these sort of guys who were publicly at the time, 2013, 2014, in the aftermath, you know, publicly sort of maybe put up by the media to be a bit of a poster boy as a young kid who's been coerced into doing these sort of things and now is on the scrap heap early. And oh, look, sort of stuff that hasn't been mentioned in the media, so I don't know whether um, yeah. he was interviewed for part of it or not, but I know at the time, because um, he was a local boy from my area as well and talking to people involved in a couple of the local clubs, he went back and played. He wasn't happy at all. Nah. So... Um, wouldn't surprise me if he wanted nothing to do with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, um, at, or, and sort of looked at it as an attempt to whitewash the situation for the club because, yeah, he just wasn't happy with it at all at the time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I can understand, you know, that side of the argument. Hmm. You, you know, you, people are put in place, you've got to trust those people. Ultimately, the system has failed somewhere along hmm. the line. And, you know, uh, yeah. And, you so know, a lot of the players that. that were unhappy with this and then, could move on and find contracts somewhere else, but he was a fringe player that yeah. wasn't good enough to get a contract anywhere else. So, you know, that even leaves a more bitter taste because not only have you had that happen to you, you've also ended up without a contract. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the suspension comes. Because hmm. uh, what year was that, 2016 that they ended up having? Yeah, it was like three, four years later, he was playing yeah. at one of the local teams. And then suddenly yeah. it's like, um, you know, and it, obviously a fraction of what he was getting paid when he was playing at Essendon, but it's still, yeah. um, you know, when you're working as a part-time tradie or whatever he was doing at yeah. the time and that it's, um, you know, it's an extra 20, 30 grand that you're not oh, getting that year. Yeah. Mm. That's right. It's still a decent coin to be uh, earned mm. in the local league. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you're using that as part of your uh, financial planning, so to speak, mm. uh, yeah, that's a big hit to the books. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I can totally understand why he'd be a bit miffed. Mm. So, Yeah. But uh, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, the documentary, I'm not sure if I will I'll watch it, I think. And if I do, what sort of lens I'll have on it. Mm. Yeah, at the time I was like, yeah, sucked in bombers, you know, you're stuffed <laughs> up and serves you right, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I must admit, at, during that time, because it took up so many newspaper columns and, and you know, inches in the paper and TV time, mm. I'm like, well, we should be celebrating the greatest dynasty that's ever lived here. But, of course, we're talking about bloody Essendon again. Mm. So, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, uh, I do feel sorry for a lot of those boys. I think a lot of them were just doing what they were told, which yeah. most people in footy clubs do. So, yeah, uh, and somewhere along the line, as I said, it's, it's failed. Mm. Oh, and um, and hopefully most clubs have cleaned themselves afterwards. Because I don't, let's face it, Essendon wasn't the only club that was sort of pushing boundaries with sports science. They were no. the worst, and I, I'm not going to like pretend they weren't. Like, and the fact that there was no sort of bookkeeping or um, mm. documentary evidence of what was actually done is damning considering that you were injecting young men with a substance and have no record keeping of what it actually was. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, poor governance, mm. but uh, I think you're right. I think, you know, all clubs are trying to get an edge, you know, 1%. And I wonder, I did wonder at the time, like, is the 1% worth it? Mm. You know, if I was an athlete, for the peace of mind of being able to put my head on the pillow at night to say, yep, yeah, I'm a clean athlete mm. and, you know, I know what has uh, passed into my body through whatever methods. Uh, yeah. Mm. Not worth it for mine. So. Let, let's get, let's get on to bagging a club out that we can both agree on. <laughs> um, I, I, look, given a couple of announcements during the week and one that um, sort of just come out before we started, um, recording uh what do you think about what's going on at carlton well look the basket case that is could have created or got themselves the greatest coup in an off-field sense in a long time uh, you know brian cook obviously very successful administrator at west coast and geelong uh you know had a hand in premierships at both clubs off the field obviously mm-hmm. uh you know, he's the administration department's Neil Baum, if you will, yeah. uh, or it seems so. Um, 
I do I do wonder though. I mean, he's been in the game for thirty odd years. Uh, he was talking earlier this year about you know it's time to take a break. Allah, someone else we might talk about in a minute, but mm-hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden you know Carlton come knocking and he's taken the the deal, which is great and you know it should be it's a great fill up for Carlton, but um, part of me just wonders is is this a you know is this the last throw of the dice? And after a couple of years, his heart's not going to be in it and they end up back where they are. Yeah. Like the reputation is great, but is the legacy, mm-hmm. is he tarnishing the legacy if he doesn't, uh, if it doesn't work at Carlton versus, ah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So a great get by the Blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I have to wait and see. And yeah, I think that's the risk he's taking. I think, he obviously won of the challenge. He, like he's a guy that's um, got his, his legacy there. He doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. Um, and you know he's um, done great things at two clubs, like you mentioned, West Coast and Geelong, and he's turned those clubs into powerhouses off the field, which has allowed them to become powerhouses on the field. But I think the one big difference I see there is. Um, he had the support of the board at um, both West Coast and Geelong. Um, I don't see a Frank Costa type at Carlton in the same that you know is driving that board and is going to necessarily give him the support. Yeah, for as long as he needs it, if it doesn't turn around very quickly, they like to turn on their own very quickly at Carlton, and that's potentially the biggest problem he has if they don't start to see some of those results quickly. Yeah, I agree. So, and, you know, they're already off to a slow start given that they didn't get their man for coach. Mm. Um, you know, Clarkson has just come out again tonight, apparently, according to media um, reports. Um, there was a last minute Hail Mary to try and get him across and he's denied them again. Um, looks like their second choice might be um, Michael Voss uh, returning to that head chair again as a, a head coach, but I mean, even that, like that, I, I can't imagine how that's a great feeling to come in knowing that you weren't actually the first choice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I mean, look in the, the year that Clarkson came out of Hawthorne, 17 other coaches, perhaps with the exception now of Damien Hart, we, we're going to be second choice. Mm. Uh, yeah. Obviously you're not going to roll someone like Chris Scott, who's yeah done an amazing job at Geelong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the grand final coaches uh, obviously uh, are very safe, but everyone else. So there's probably ten clubs who would be going. What could we do? Could we get him? Mm. You know, uh, what's it going to take to get him? When's our coach out of contract? Yeah, you know, uh, and this sort of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, equally, uh, yeah. If I'm Michael Voss, I wouldn't care. Mm. There's eight, eighteen positions. Up yeah, for grabs. It's true. It's half a million you, dollars a year and it's a head coach in the AFL. You're right. To, yeah. Um, and yeah. And, I mean, he got burnt in the last Carlton mm. coaching process from all reports, but uh, by putting his hand up again, I think Shane, he doesn't care about that. He yeah. would just rather get on with the job. So, mm. yeah. I do feel for Adam Kingsley, though, if he misses out because he's missed out Carlton and Collingwood this year. Uh, and, you know, could he be the, the next coach, the next Brian Royal? Mm. So close, but so far. Mm. I'm just glad David Teague found himself a job at Richmond as well because yeah, I, I thought he was a I thought he was a good coach. I I feel like he just didn't have the cattle on the um, class. But you know, he start he his early results were as good as um, Hardwick's, as good as others that have gone on to win premierships. Yeah. But correct, Carlton seems to have this misguided overinflated sense of the value of their list and were expecting results quicker than they were ever going to be able to be delivered. Yeah, that's right. And it also appears that they're still stuck in the model of what well, we just go out and buy the best. Mm. You know, coaches, that's what, you know, throwing a hail American Clarkson and yeah. while, and, you know, while not uh, putting together a proper process, it would appear. Uh, seems that they haven't, haven't learned from years past and, and to do these things properly, uh, you've got to go through a proper process, you know, I mean, the Magpies went through, what was it, two-month process by the time they got their stuff together to find the coach. Mm. Who, you know, who knows 
uh, whether Craig McRae is going to cut the mustard, but from all reports, he's, um, you know, got a great resume. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, he's coached a VFL premiership when the Tigers, a couple of years ago yeah. with the Tigers, so he can certainly get it done. Uh, yeah, I just think, you know, Carlton had an opportunity to get Ross Lyon. I don't really think they had an opportunity to get Clarkson. You know, that was really only uh, an opportunity from mid-July, shall we say. But certainly Ross Lyon was out there almost begging to be. Oh, he, he, yeah. he was um, putting his resume out there in the media. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, correct. So, but I also think, uh, yeah, he should have been if willing to go through the process too. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, I do. If this, if this is true that Carlton said to him, well, you know, we still want you to interview and all that. And he said, well, no, you know what I can do. I'd be like, well, no, actually then. If you're not willing to go through that process, then it's too like bad. You've been, out, you've been out of the game for that long. We don't know what you can do. You've been yeah. in the media. It's time to come back and That's make right. your pitch like everybody else. Yeah, and, and two years out of the game is a long time. Hmm. So, you know, how have you evolved with that two years? So I would have been... Have you learned from your mistakes? Correct. Hmm. Um, you know, and mean... clearly he hasn't because he not <laughs> go through the process. That's right. So, I mean, look, uh, we've all got healthy egos, let's be honest, but uh, he's hmm. very healthy, shall we say. <laughs> so... Yeah, but um, I think uh, Brian Cook's a really good get, but I still have a red flag mm. just because, yeah, I wonder how long he's going to last. Oh, and it's it's Carlton and, you know, they'll turn on him yeah. sooner than um, expected anyway. <laughs> Lose to Richmond round one, that's it, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's going to win on Saturday, Amos? Well, uh, listener feedback tells me that I have to tip the Bulldogs or else I lose a listener. But uh, unfortunately <laughs> for my brother-in-law, Troy, sorry, mate. I'm still going with the Demons. Mm. Um, they just look so impressive, the Demons. Mm. Uh, everyone's talking about the fact they played one match in a month. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, I, yeah. But they were pretty divided, good. But they, I, I can't see them not winning. Mm. Uh, break the 57-year drought. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a cracking grand final. I think we've got the two best teams. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, um, there's, there's going to be great matchups across the ground. Um, I hope Stephen May is not injured. I hope he can um, hold up the defence there. Um, but at the same time, I hope um, Norton kicks a few as well because he's, yeah. a, he's an amazing um, key forward and... You know, Josh Bruce is stuck back in Melbourne, so it's going to yeah. rely a lot on him to kick a few of those goals to um, keep him in it and get him close. But, um, you know, I just, you look at the likes of, um, you know, Fritch up forward, but also, you know, um, Oliver and um, Petrarca in the middle. I just think there's more upside in Melbourne. I think their mid-level players are at a higher level than a lot of the Bulldogs players. And if they play at their best, I think they just win. Yeah, I, I think you're right, um, and you, I think you touched on it there with Aaron Norton. You know, uh, if he's the he's the the centerpiece of that forward line, mm. and they've had to reshape it with Bruce being out, um, and you know Melbourne have got a great mix of defenders to cover off different types. Mm. You know, um, Shaky played a great game against Port, purely just bringing the ball to ground and and doing some of the grunt work, which we haven't mm. seen from him ever. But um, you know, I think. It, Fantastic game in the prelim final. Um, can he do it against probably Harrison Petty with Jake Lever coming over the top? Mm. Yeah. I mean, he did it against the Lira Lear. He's probably in the top three intercept defenders in the game. Uh, and then, but I just think Melbourne, that cohesion of defense is, is mm. spot on at the moment. Um, and I also think, you know, the likes of uh, Cody Waitman, who's been a bit of a revelation and things like that. Um, you know, if he doesn't kick three or four goals, then the dogs will struggle to score a mm. bit. Yeah. Uh, but Melbourne have got the you know the smaller defenders to to do the job as well. So, um, plus there's the it's time factor, and I mean you know neat, yeah. don't support e- either team, and the Bulldogs have won their premiership a few years ago, so it's um, Melbourne's turn after 57 years yeah. to um, that's right know, hoist the cup, isn't it? Oh, I think so. I think uh, I totally agree with you, and I must admit I. Got a bit of sentimentality going in with the old man being a Melbourne supporter, mm. but um, I just think I, I really can't see them not winning. 
And who doesn't love a captain that used to go to training eating a Big Mac and <laughs> smoking a couple of cigarettes on the way? What's oh, exactly right. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, that's right. I mean, if it was me, I'd be having a Big Mac on the way and on the way home. Yeah, okay, as mm. my reward. <laughs> Why not? So, uh, no, I think I think if uh, ever there's someone who's turned themselves around uh, from being every man's cult hero for for exactly what you said to uh, being every man's cult hero because he presents so well and he's got a great way of uh, projecting himself mm. into the media and, and across the group. I think Max Gorn fits the bill. He's been he's been brilliant since he's been captain. So, mm. and uh, you know, if he has a game like he had last week, I, the the Bulldogs don't have the ruckman to go with him. No, well, that's the other thing too, isn't it? Um, you know, Tim English is is going to be a, a good, solid ruckman for a long time. Mm. Uh, will he ever reach the upper echelons? You know, the Grundies and the Gorns status, Nat Nui and and others. I'm not sure, uh, but certainly, if he doesn't uh, hold his own with the help of Stefan Martin, if he plays, mm. uh, you know, then I think Melbourne. It's another area they've got it over them. So. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's not so much the fact that, uh, for me anyway, you know, having Max Gorn dominating the ruck is the deciding factor because the Bulldogs midfield is is brilliant. Uh, it's just he can do so many things. Mm. He can be the tap ruckman. He's shown he can go forward and kick goals. Not that we're expecting him to kick goals like he did not, against not the like Cats. Not like he did last week. <laughs> um, but he can also slot in and, and you know, uh, a kick behind the play and, and protect the defense mm. as well. So, uh, yeah, he's got a lot of bases covered. He can also pick the ball up off the ground like a midfielder. Yeah, it, mm. yeah. He gets so, a lot of he gets a lot of clearances for a ruckman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he could be. You know, we talk about X factors and things, and everyone talk about Putraka being an X factor, which is absolutely thing, and uh, which is absolutely true. Bont and Pelly on the bulldog side of things. Uh, but yeah, you know, Max Gorn could be the game absolute game breaker. Um, Do you think it'll be a close one? Uh, no, and I'm not saying Melbourne are going to go out and buy twelve goals. Mm. I just think that uh, you know the rubber band's going to break at some point, and it will go from being sort of two goals with 15 minutes to go, maybe you know stretch out to five or six goals mm. by the end of the game because you know once it's gone it's gone yeah so. I, I, i'm the same i think um i'd love to see a close game but i think melbourne's gonna win sort of four or five goals i think that yeah yeah and i think they're that much better side yeah i agree and i think the last two or three goals will come in the last 10 minutes to blow out the mud mm. yeah and it'll be a game that we look back on and used to go yeah, it was a great game and you look at the margin it's not going to feature in your highlights because it's not a close game so it's mm. so um, but what I, I guess what I'm interested in too with the grand final being in Perth is is how it goes for one. I think you know um, there's no reason why it won't be a great occasion. Mm. But how the stadium goes, you know, uh, from everyone you talk talk to about that stadium, it is just the most impressive place to go. Uh, so interesting. That I, there's have, no... I have been there. Um, oh, there you go. wasn't uh, wasn't a great result um, going to see Essendon play there in a final <laughs> a couple of years ago, but impressive stadium and just the way it's designed it's loud so you know it's it'll be a i think for the most part it'll be a relatively even crowd you know yes there'll be some expats supporters from both sides that are there to watch it but i think yeah there'll be a lot of noise and the players will still enjoy that noise and i'm you know as sad as it is as an mcc member who would normally be lining up at sort of 4 a.m to get in and get my seat um at the end of the day, I think for the players, it's going to be a better experience for them playing to a full crowd than playing to an empty stadium at the MCG. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah. No, it would be ridiculous if the AFL mm. had stood firm and said, no, it's at the MCG. Mm. Yeah. No, I think even though it is two Victorian teams, there's no way it could have been in Melbourne. No. If crowds couldn't be there. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, look, and I think, you know, it's a better experience for us watching it on TV as well with a crowd there because as much as the... The, the networks have tried with their crowd noise. It's not the same when you can just look at the crowd and know that there's actually no one there. It's um yeah it's much yeah. better to be able to see the actual noise and the actual fans in the crowd um enjoying the experience even if we can't be there enjoying it with them. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Do you think we're going to get the same? Uh, 
you know, last year, a lot of people were not happy with the night grand final just because it, it took so long to get to during the day. You know, there was, uh, there was a chorus of people going, oh, night grand final, great idea. And then it mm. got to the day and then they've gone, oh, geez, should have just been at two o'clock. I was sick of waiting all day. But um, I mean, they're playing into prime time in Melbourne, so they can't really do much about it, given that you're not going to have 100,000 there watching it. So um, yeah. they've got to find a time that works for both and um, the two-hour time difference. So I, it is what it is, really, for me. Um, I just hope when it's back at the MCG next year, it goes back to that, um, you know, and they've sort of progressively been moving it later in the afternoon by stealth anyway with um, starting the pre-game entertainment a bit later and um, pushing yep. it back. So but I've been accepting for a long time that we're eventually going to end up with a night grand final um, at the MCG. And like it makes sense from a, a spectacle. You're going to get more people watching it at 7.30 at night than you are at 2.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. Anyway, I would have thought. So... Um, yeah, I'm not so sure about that, to be fair. Uh, I think the whole tradition oh, of the Melbourne Grand Final okay. is, that you, you, you know... Okay, you'll get more casual fans watching it at, at night. as well. uh, The people that are going to watch it are going to watch it anyway. I think you'll get more casual TV audience, and I think the TV networks are going to keep pushing for it, and eventually it's going to end up there. Yeah, I don't disagree with you that it will eventually get to a night Grand Final. I just don't think it's a, a given that there'll be that same level of people watching Mm-hmm. purely because you know you build up the grand final during the day you go to your grand final function wherever that may be and mm-hmm. then out into the night to do whatever you want to do and those people who are not football mad or you know couldn't give two hoots they're not necessarily going to stay at home watching a game of football or or go to someone's place to watch a game of football they might go out and do what they're going to mm-hmm. do um and also i think that you know that whole melbourne uh, tradition of yeah, the, the the grand final barbecue at home. I mean, we've been denied it obviously yeah. for two years now. But um, yeah, you go to your mate's place for the grand final barbecue. Mm. You watch the game. Um, you go to your mate's place, want have your grand final barbecue, and yeah, most most people under thirty are going to be too pissed to watch. Too the pissed. Final. They won't remember the <laughs> game yeah, so by exactly. the time they get there because they've had too many beers. That's exactly right. So, mm. um, and you know, for you poor, long suffering MCC, it does make for a very long day. Mm. you know lining up at 4 a.m or whatever time you get there thankfully, for some, thankfully so. they do let you get a pass out so you can go home yeah. and have a nap before the game starts. yeah mm. i have i have had to dole out those pass outs uh mm. in previous lifetimes but uh yes it is interesting seeing people and how how disheveled they look by the time they get their ticket <laughs> mm. so but um look i i personally hope it stays for the day grand final mm. but uh I do think that the people who were complaining last year about the day took too long was only because in Melbourne last year on grand final day, you literally couldn't do anything. Hmm. Uh, You couldn't go anywhere. So you couldn't go anywhere and do anything. That's right. So, and it's going to be the same again this week. Hmm. So there will be complaints. So the day was too long, but Hmm. it is when you have to sit on your couch all day and do nothing. Yeah. But um, who do you think is Norm Smith margin? Um, First goal. Uh, as I said, the margin, I think it's going to be a five-goal Melbourne win. I'm, I expect I, – I, look, I could – I could. Um, I'm hard to split the Norm Smith. I think Gorn could win it. I also think Petrarca could win it. I think um, Petrarca is a big game player and um, um, could go out there and do it. Um, I'm expecting Bailey Fritch to kick a few goals, so I reckon the first goal for Bailey Fritch for me. Mm. Yeah, I'm leading – very similarly for the margin, I was going to say 32 points for me. Um, I actually think Petrarca will win the Norm Smith. I think it'll be a Dusty-like performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just got that very... He's, I mean, we're not going to compare him to Dusty, obviously, but similar attributes, powerful mm-hmm. out of the middle, kicks goals, you know, very eye-catching. Uh, and Tom McDonald for me, first of all. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, well, we'll be back here next week to dissect the grand final and the grand final entertainment and have a whinge about how long that day was before we get to the game. So that's something for us to look forward to. And well, yeah, I mean, it might be tempered by the fact that the Storm are playing at four o'clock. So for those of us uh, sports nuts, mm-hmm. we'll be able to get our, get our digs in early and do that. 
So. Yeah, no, I mean that that's another debate and argument. The NRL versus the AFL and <laughs> scheduling that game there. That, that that that's got to have been a troll by Peter Volandis, doesn't it? Well, I think uh, we might have to take uh, small victories because mm. the fact that they changed it from a seven ten start to a four that's, pm start. That's true. They did at know. least do that. That was a good. That yeah. Was nice of them. Otherwise, I think uh, Melbourne Storm could very much claim to be, you know, the annoying fly that never goes away for the NRL. Mm. yeah Mm. well we have been the line in the sand podcast this has been episode two uh please make sure you subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to us and if you like what you've heard please leave us a review if you don't like it please just tell us that you haven't liked it give us your feedback but um we only want positive reviews left on the platforms and we'll see you next week thanks everyone speak soon Thank you.